But as Krista says, this is our series. We're, we're in a series called Here For It, which is a series on the church. And after the last 20 months or so of disconnection and opening and closing and all sorts of things going on with Sundays and life groups and events and having meals together and just all sorts of church life, church togetherness, we're spending some time on a series talking about the church, which I think is so important. Rebuilding, uh, thinking through what the church is. And I know as we gather together tonight talking about the church, all of us in this place have got experiences and understandings of what the church is. For some of us, those are good. For some, they might be bad. You, you might have had terrible experience of the church in the past. You, you might be traumatized or scarred by that. Or you might have some of the best experiences of church. Your understandings of church might also be good or bad. And it could be hard for you to know that right now. You know, even now you might think you've got great understanding of what the church is. But actually, maybe as we look at what the scriptures say, some of our mindsets are going to have to change just a little bit. But tonight, what we're going to do is look at that a little bit more. And my daughter is thrilled to hear me preaching. She absolutely loves it. So that's her voice at the back. Just She's not an amener. She's a dadder. So that's what I get. Definitely a dad joke. Yeah, not strong, but I appreciate one or two just encouragements from the crowd. Yeah, thank you, Don. I appreciate that. Soon to be a dad in the corner, so he's learning what he needs to learn. Um, what I thought I'd do tonight, because like I say, all of us have got an experience and an understanding of church, is I thought I'd share some of my experience with church. And maybe you can relate, maybe not, maybe it helps you to know me better. But I think maybe for some of you who are even looking in at the church, maybe my experience, my journey with church helps you to connect in with us where we are right now as Harbor City. So I've been part of three churches in my life before Harbor City, before we planted this community. And the first was an Anglican church in the area that I grew up in. Now, my parents aren't Christians, so um, they would take us to church at Christmas and Easter. We went twice a year, some years, not every year, and we didn't do this for too long. I think when I was seven or eight, we stopped doing this altogether, but I grew up really with this experience that church was something you did twice a year, you did it on the holidays, and it was a bit of a chore and a tradition. And I say chore because on Christmas and Easter, I wanted to be playing with my presents and eating chocolate. I didn't want to be going to this place that seemed irrelevant to my life. You know, as a kid, I didn't understand what they were talking about. It was nice to sing and the decoration was good, but I would rather be doing the chocolate or the present thing on Sundays than that. So I learned really that church was about uh, tradition or it was a chore that we did. And there were certain uh, expectations. When we went those two times in a year, we would go, we'd sing songs, we'd do the whole thing, and we'd put a couple of coins into that bowl that got passed around, and that's what we did, you know? We kept God happy, we did the right thing, we did the routine, we went through that, and then we did it again the next year. And then as I got a little bit older, like I say, we kind of dropped out of that habit, and I started going to another church when I was 12. It was a Pentecostal church, so a little bit more energy in it. And uh, that was a completely different experience. I went to a youth with my friend and absolutely loved it. That first Friday night that I went, we played duster hockey and we watched Free Willy and um, the Mighty Ducks. So any Mighty Ducks fans, it was great. We played some duster hockey afterwards and I was hooked. I loved youth. I was there for years and years and years and it was amazing. And what happened is my uh, church attendance twice a year went to a Friday and then a Sunday morning and then a Sunday night and I found myself going to church events three times a week and absolutely loving it 
And this was a really significant experience for me. In this church, I became a Christian. Uh, I learned a little bit more about Jesus and what it meant to be a Christian. They had incredible youth ministry and incredible youth camps. And it was there that I was baptized in water and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I understood so much more about what all of this was about. But at the same time, like my first experience of church, it was still just a Sunday thing. Now, I'd go on Sundays, I'd go on Fridays, but then I didn't see those people the rest of the week. So Krista's speaking about family tonight and how great it is to come together and grab a coffee and catch up and all of those things. I wouldn't see those people or think of those people between that Sunday and the next time I saw them again. You know, I wasn't texting them, I wasn't doing anything with them. This was a Sunday thing that didn't really impact my life. And then probably the one change I had from my first church experience to this was that I started to serve. I got involved in serving in the church, and I was on the AV team. So Britt and Greg are on AV tonight. We were in a church in the 90s, which meant overhead projectors and transparencies. So if you grew up going to church in the 90s, it was really, really stressful. Like basically there was a box of these transparencies. You had to find the right ones and then project them up onto the wall. And I remember one particular Sunday, I melted down. I think I'm a perfectionist. I can be quite hard on myself. I put the one transparency upside down. I let one slip off onto the floor. I did a really bad job in front of 40 people or however many were in the room. And I really, really struggled. And a lovely lady came up to me afterward and said, it's okay. Really encouraged by that, you know. But that was my experience of church. It was a Sunday thing you went to and you served a little bit. You, you did the transparency thing or the coffee thing or the piano thing or something, but it didn't really connect with the rest of your life. And then the third church I became a part of was when I was dropping out of church at the age of 17. And I came to this church because of a girl, not because of spiritual or existential reasons. I was just dating a girl that went to this church, so I started to come along. And that was when I was 17, so 18 years ago, I went there to Red Point Church in Pinetown, and I experienced something completely different to what I'd seen in church before. And yes, the, the teaching was different, the worship was different, the building was different, the things were different, but I think more than that, the culture was what gripped me and impacted me as I went into that space. There was something about this group of people and the way they did life together as the people of God that impacted me in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I think, in a sense, this was my best experience of church, but it was also the most demanding. Because in this environment, church wasn't just a Sunday thing where you came and you watched the show and then left. All of a sudden, these people were becoming part of my life and I was becoming part of theirs. And there was this pull into involvement in this community and life in this community together and what that all meant. And all of a sudden, I found myself falling in love with the church and getting really, really involved in church. Now, I um, I'd had a dream of being in advertising. I wanted to be a creative director at an ad agency, and I was on track, you know, studying English and media and culture. I was working at an ad agency as a copywriter, but I found myself on Friday afternoons, we'd have drinks at three, we'd go and play like foosball or table tennis or something, it's a creative space, have a drink together, and I was waiting till four, as like we clocked off, to get in the car and shoot to the church so that I could get ready for youth because that was the thing I was really, really excited about. I wanted to be involved in what God was doing with his people. I wanted to be involved in ministry. I wanted to be involved in the kingdom of God advancing and all of that stuff. And um, I might have even said this here before, but I know some people on Sundays at church zone out and they start to plan the week or 
think about the thing they're really passionate about or their hobby or work or whatever it is. I would sit at work and I would daydream about the church because I loved it and I loved the people and I loved what God was doing and I, I was dreaming of what God could do through his people in a place. So I had a maybe different experience to some of you. I think that's one of the reasons I became pastor because I was dreaming about being involved uh, involved being used by God in what he was wanting to do. And my life was changed in that. My life was changed in the church. And I want to say for some of you hearing this, I hope you hear how this has been a gradual journey. Starting in a church when I was very young, then 12, then to another church when I was 17. It's been a gradual journey of learning what the church is about and what the church does. And really starting to find Jesus at the center of the church. And that's one of the things I'd love you to hear tonight as we speak about what the church is and what, what involvement in the church looks like, is tonight could definitely sound like a checklist of what you should do. But I think the words that Kirst has shared and that Krista have shared have been invitations to see Jesus. And I think what was happening in my journey is I wasn't just learning what the church looks like and the church at its best, because some people fall in love with the church, but not with God. They're great at being church members, but they actually don't know Jesus for themselves. And when church falls away or something goes wrong at church, their relationship with God is deeply affected because they don't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. They've got relationships in the church. But I think what happened for me is as I got to know Jesus better and as I got to see his love for me and devotion towards me, I fell in love with his people. I fell in love with his bride, his body, his community, his family, and what it was all about because it was Jesus's thing. Last week, if you weren't here, I spoke about uh, the fact that Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her out of Ephesians 5. I encourage you, maybe check it out this week if you haven't listened to it or if you weren't here last week. But in a sense, this is part two. That was the fact that Jesus loves the church and was devoted to the church. And today we're really talking about how the fact we respond with devotion to him inside this community. Before we get there, what is the church? We're gonna be in Acts 2 today. But really the picture of what the church is starts in Acts chapter one. And in Acts one, Jesus has died, died on the cross for the sins of the world. And not only has he died, but he's risen from the dead, a very important part of the story. He's overcome Satan, sin, and death. He's risen from the grave, victorious over all of those things in glory and in power. And he's appeared to his disciples. I can't imagine what those moments look like. Sometimes they're eating a meal and then Jesus is there with them must have been incredible. But Jesus has appeared to them and they believe he's raised from the dead. They believe he's conquered those things. And he started to speak to them for 40 days about the thing that matters most, the kingdom of God. And their hearts are pumping. They're, they're getting passionate about this thing of God. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He, he leaves after 40 days of ministry. And he says, what I want you guys to do, they were in Jerusalem. He says, don't leave the city yet. Go into the upper room and pray and ask for the gift that I want to give you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you the Spirit and he's going to fill you and he's going to empower you and he's going to send you out to be witnesses about me. Not to do anything fancy, but to tell people what you have seen of Jesus. To, to witness to what you've experienced and seen in him. So they go and they pray upstairs and what happens is the Spirit of God is poured out on them. They're filled they're empowered, they are changed, 
and they actually pour out into the streets. It's this crazy situation. Jerusalem would have been a very cosmopolitan city. There's people from every nation, tribe, and tongue there. And as they speak the message of Jesus, the Holy Spirit speaks through them in every language of the people that are there. So that at the birth of the church, the launch of the church, kind of the first Sunday of the church, people from all over the world hear the message in their own language. That's what the church is meant to do. It's meant to take the message to everyone, everywhere, that everyone could come to know him. And this leader of this group of misfits named Peter stands up. And Peter is... um, out there revving his car. But the Peter I'm speaking about in the Bible is a very different character. No cars back then. This Peter was a rough and tough man, a fisherman by trade. He'd really like gotten into it with Jesus a couple of times. He could be quite abrasive and quite aggressive. But he stands up and leads in this moment, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God. And he stands up and he speaks and he tells them about Jesus and what he's done. And this crowd of people say, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? That's their response. Maybe for you, that's the question in your heart. What must I do to be saved? And Peter responds and says, repent and be baptized. To repent is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of life. I've been so struck by this recently. Jesus came as a teacher to teach his way. And he calls us to believe in him to believe in his teachings, to, to obey them and to live them out, to follow in his way. And part of that response was baptism, going under the waters, symbolizing a death to an old life, a new life starting, that your sins are washed clean, that you're entering into a new life in him. And this group of 3,000 people responded that first church service. And I don't know what the baptisms looked like. I don't know what the follow-up looked like. I don't know how they got everyone's numbers and organized all of that. But they did, and the church just exploded as the message of Jesus went out. And what we see in the passage we're going to be in today is that these apostles, the 12 that had been with Jesus, these 120 who'd been praying in the upper room for the Spirit to be poured out and who had been filled with the Spirit, and these 3,000 brand new wet-nosed Christians who don't know what they're talking about, they all devoted themselves to Jesus. They devoted themselves. Peter didn't devote them. The apostles didn't devote them. They devoted themselves to a new life, following Jesus in this new community called the church that was forming around Jesus and his message. They devoted themselves. And this is the birth of the church. You know, we we speak about church planting. We speak about churches launching and starting out. It's a really cool thing. Some friends of mine just started a new church in Morningside at the tennis club there. They've been going for about six weeks now. Such a cool thing. We celebrate that as new churches are started. But this was the first church ever, the first church to ever start. This was Launch Sunday in Jerusalem. And what we see is this church, the church, was birthed in prayer. It was birthed in the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and self-devotion to this community and what God was doing. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Acts 2 verse 42. Otherwise, Britt and Greg at the AV desk kind of doing the overhead thing, they'll put it up on the screens. But this is a look at the response of the church to what God is doing so powerfully in Jerusalem at that time. And it says this, they devoted themselves. This is the big idea for tonight. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I think uh, depending on where you're at today, if you love the church, we read this passage and you're like, I'm here for it. This is amazing. This is the dream in my heart for what the church would look like. This is such an exciting passage. If not, maybe you're like, whoa, this is not my experience of church. This is not what I've seen in the past. You know, I'm not sure what I think about this. Is this what the church is meant to be? And this Acts 2 church community that we read about here at the beginning of the book of Acts has been like this vision passage, this blueprint for church communities as they've started, as they've renewed, as they've existed, of what the church should and could be like. And it starts by saying this, they devoted themselves. It's like a whole sermon right there. They devoted themselves. Three significant words, they devoted themselves. Obviously, the they is all of them. Like I said, the, the 3,000 the 120, the 12, all of the people who are members of church, they devoted themselves to all of these things. Not just some of them, but all of them. And they devoted, I mean the word devoted or devotion, it's not a word we use often these days. So to define it for you, I mean to be devoted is to be steadfast, committed, staunch, here for it as our series is called. Devotion is about love and loyalty and passionate dedication of your life towards something. I think when I think of devotion, I think about a calling or a vocation or like a unique purpose in life. You think, this is why God put me on this earth. I'm devoting my life to this thing. And when I was trying to think of illustrations for devotion, what came to my mind, I don't know what's coming to yours as I kind of give you space to think about it a little bit. But I thought of adverts. I thought of adverts for whiskey. I thought of adverts for German cars. I thought of Nike adverts. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if you can think of a good whiskey ad, it's generally beautiful color grading, it's slow, the music is moving, and you see some guy out by the lock or the moor or something like that wearing tweed, and he is just passionate about his craft. You know, he's inherited this recipe that for 400 years, his family have been involved in creating this beautiful whiskey in these oak casks, you know? And there's this romance associated with what they're making. He's a craftsman. And he's devoted to the craft of making whiskey. Or you think of German engineering. I mean, the Formula One's on tonight. Guys are passionate about their cars. But you think about BMW or maybe Italian engineering. You think about a Ferrari. And that's not just a car. It's an art form. It's beautiful. The guys working there to make these cars are devoted to their craft. Or if you think of a Nike advert, whatever sport comes to your mind, these athletes are devoted to their sport. It's why they get up early. It's why they train two or three times a day. It's why they eat the way they eat. It's why they do the way they do. Their body, their life, their time, their money, their energy, their effort is devoted to their sport. They're all in. And then maybe I thought of something a little bit cheesier. Dogs are devoted to their masters, you know. Think of a dog licking you, protecting you, caring for you, following you around. A cat is not a devoted creature. Are there any dog people in the room? Yes. Any cat people are getting cross with? Okay. I'm stepping on three toes at least in the room. I heard a saying recently that said, dogs think their master feeds me, 
houses me, takes care of me, protects me, looks after me, they must be God. Cats, on the other hand, and you can see where I'm going with this, think my master feeds me, protects me, houses me, takes care of me, I must be God. And it's a picture of devotion. Dogs are devoted to their masters. Three people are leaving the church. That's exactly what's going on. And in Acts chapter 2, what we see is they devoted themselves to Jesus and his church and this list of things that we've gone through already. They devoted themselves. This was vocation. This was calling. This was passion. This became their life. This became everything that they centered themselves around. They devoted themselves. Everyone played a part. Everyone brought what they had. Everyone added to what God was doing. They made a personal choice to be here for it. Our church is about eight years old, and in the first year, there was a member that I spoke to. He was 23 at the time, and he wasn't one of the leaders. He didn't have like an official position in the church, you know, in a ministry or anything like that. And I think he was saying to me, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. It doesn't matter what I do. And I said, our church is 50 people. We were exactly 50 people in the database at the time. I said, we're 50 people. You are 2% of the church. You matter. You know, your absence is felt and your presence is needed. And I was trying to speak to him and help him to see that he is uniquely gifted and wired by God. He's got special things that other people don't have that if he brings, we receive as a community. It adds momentum to who we are. But if he doesn't, that we are all the poorer for. He had a unique part to play. Rick Warren talks about your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, the things you're passionate about, your abilities, your personality, and your experience. That guy could bring those things or not bring those things to add to the community that God was forming. We needed his prayers. We needed his uh, generous giving. We needed his faith. We needed his energy. We needed him meeting new people and inviting them to church. We needed him investing into the people in the community what only he could invest. We needed him to play the part God had given him to play. In Acts 2, we see that they weren't just building a church for spectators, people who watch the show, but participators. I was chatting to some people yesterday, and I, I just shared that one of my worst phrases about church is a worship experience. I hate it. If you like that, that's okay. Um, this isn't biblical. This is just my opinion. And the reason is it makes it sound like you're coming to watch a show. I'm going to the worship experience on Sunday. Oh, so you're going to sit there and watch the show and just take it in. Oh, it was a good show or it was a bad show. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. That's what we do at the movies. We went to watch an incredible movie last night named June. It's wonderful. Um, that's what we do when we go to watch a play. That's what we do when we go to spectate, not participate. But actually in the community of God, we're, we're not coming to a worship experience. We're coming to be together, as Krista said, with the family of God for the purposes of God and the presence of God, to hear from God. We're not spectators, we're participators. Even tonight, there could be something God wants to use you to do. So you look around the room, maybe God wants you to share something with someone here to encourage them. Do something with someone in this room this week. Pray for them, bless them financially, whatever it is. There could be something God wants to use you to do even this evening. I've watched that happen in front of my eyes. I've been used by God to do that on Sundays. You get together with different people and maybe your gift is needed in someone's life right now. And what we see here is that Luke the doctor, the author of Acts, and I just wanna highlight that there. Not Luke the pastor. Luke the doctor is the person that God uses to write down the Acts of the early church. It's an amazing thing. 
as we read this, as he speaks about early life in the early church, he doesn't talk about Sundays. He doesn't talk about church events or services. He doesn't talk about worship style. He doesn't talk about the preach preacher. He doesn't talk about kids' church or the coffee or any of the things that we might use to describe a church. He talks about a community of people and the culture of faith and devotion that surrounded them as they followed Jesus. Historically, I said this last week, but it's important. Historically, we get the English word church from the German word kirch. Am I saying that okay? Don't know. Krista speaks really fluent German, so you can get her to translate for you. But really, the, the German word kirch means house of the Lord. But the word that is translated from Greek into English in our Bibles is the word ekklesia. It's a gathering or an assembly of people called out and united together with common identity and purpose. And what Luke is trying to teach us here is that the church is not an event or a place. The church is a community of people redeemed from their sin, given a new identity and new life in Jesus and devoting themselves to a new purpose as the people of God in a particular place for the sake of the world. And this community in Acts 2 devoted themselves, like the whiskey makers, like the German engineers, like artists, like dogs. They devoted themselves to God and his people and what he was wanting to do. So what do we see in this passage that the church devoted themselves to? There's, there's a bunch of things. But firstly, they, they devoted themselves to the Bible, to the scriptures, to the apostles' teaching, as it says there. And we spoke about this a lot in a series we did a while ago called Eat This Book, so I won't go too much into it. But I want you to see that they devoted themselves to Scripture, reading it, meditating on it, discussing it, learning it, letting it form them into the people of God. And this was a community who would wake up early and they'd get out their Bibles, they'd make themselves a cup of tea. If you're a coffee person, that's okay too. They'd sit in the lounge, favorite seat, read the Bible, pray, and let God speak to them. They devoted themselves to it because this was their vocation, their, their calling, their purpose as the people of God. And what they were doing is they were waking up early at the start of the day. And they were doing this, they were coming to be with God, not because they had to, but because they got to be with Him. They got to get into His Word. They got to spend time in His presence. They got to be shaped by God before they went out to live their lives in the different spaces that they went into. What they did is they prioritized God's word in their lives, which means they also deprioritized other things. They said, I'm gonna give myself, I'm gonna devote myself to scripture and not devote myself to these other things because that's what we have to do. Whenever we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. So even as I speak about this devotion tonight, the reality is if we want to be this kind of people, saying yes to something means saying no to something else. And they did, they devoted themselves to God's word. The movement I came out of when I was a teenager and in my early 20s had this value. They said, the Bible plus nothing and the Bible minus nothing, which I really liked. It made a lot of sense to me. And it was this value of scripture for what it is. We're not interpreting it our way. We're not forcing it to say what we want it to say. We want the fullness of scripture to submit to it, to learn from it, to be shaped by it, to obey it, to be changed by it. And I love that. This is what the early church did. They had a devotion to the words of Jesus. And as I've said here before, research shows that the single greatest way that you will grow in your faith 
is if you engage with the scriptures for yourself. If you read through them and meditate on them and chew on them and let them speak to you. Charles Spurgeon, a really famous English preacher, spoke about a Christian that he admired that was devoted to the Bible in this way. He said, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I've used that quote before and Shell hates it. She says that word bibline is the worst word, you know, but I, I love it. I hope you love it with me. It, it, prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. I just love that. He's been shaped and transformed by the word of God. Secondly, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And one word can make a huge difference there because it doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship is community. It's relationships. It's having coffee before the service. It's connecting. Um, the, the Greek idea there is the word koinonia with a K. Really that, well, I heard a preacher say that this is we drink tea together and we change the world. You know, we hang out together, but there's a purpose of ministry. God wants to use us together. And that's a good thing. That, that's why we gather together. That's why we have coffee before. That's why we do life groups, all of those things. It's for fellowship to happen. But this is the fellowship, and it's talking about the church. They devoted themselves to the church in all its shapes and forms. It's, it's people, it's meetings, it's ministries, it's events. They devoted themselves to the church. They were present, they were involved, they played their part. And there's a reason why. Tim Keller says, just as the single most formative experience in our lives is our membership in a family, so the main way we grow in grace and holiness is through deep involvement in the family of God. Christian community is more than just a supportive fellowship. It is an alternative society. And it is through this alternate human society that God shapes us into who and what we are. God is forming us into his people. He's forming us into the kind of people that live out his ways and that reveal him to the world around us. And we see in verse 46, the kind of community they had, how, how close they were, how they shared their lives together. You see, they, they met on Sundays, not just as like a little chunk out of their week, not just a small gap, like, okay, 4.30 till 5.30, I'm at church. The rest of the time is mine, I'm good to go. There was an overlap from what happened here on Sundays into the rest of life that shaped them. And I think there's many, many churches in our city and around the world where you could walk in on Sunday, say hi to a few people, and then leave and not think of or speak to or pray for or message any of those people for another week. We don't want to be that kind of church. It's not what we see here in Acts 2. Here we read that they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they gathered like this, the, the temple. What did you call it, Krista? the tent of meeting, the house of God, whatever you want to say. They met together in a place to worship God together, but then they went and they broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They hung out together. They met for a coffee at Bike and Bean at six o'clock in the morning on Mondays. They, they played sport together. They exercised together. They did stuff together outside of a Sunday. And that's our dream. The church wouldn't start and end here in this building on a Sunday but that actually what, what is happening here is the training wheels for the rest of our week. That this is shaping us as community to do what God has called us to do everywhere, every day, always. Verse 44 to 45, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They would sell their own stuff that they loved to help one another out when they were in need. Isn't that amazing? I've seen members of this church serve others and do meals for others and take care of others when they're hurting, praying for others, being a support to others. I think over lockdown, I was so impressed by this church. We um, set up like a COVID giving fund. And I think over the period of lockdown, we've given away over 200,000 rand to people in this church, to people in the city who've been in need. I think that's a lot of money. This church gave. We try every month to put away 10% of our income for social justice, for meeting needs and for development, to to help people, to, to renew the city, to see the kingdom of God come through what we do because we want to be this kind of community. We want to organize to do that, but then organically what we see is this is happening. It doesn't just have to be organized. The people of God are doing this. They're praying for one another, caring for one another, connecting with one another, supporting one another, helping one another to grow in faith, but also to do well in life. This community loved to be together. They got together, as I said, outside of just what happened on Sunday. But on top of that, they weren't just getting together. They were texting each other silly memes and silly gifts and all sorts of things to laugh. But then also deep prayer requests and needs and saying, hey, thanks for that gift. Can I ask you to pray for me? I just got the worst news. They loved one another. They were family and they supported and strengthened each other. In John 13, Jesus calls us to love one another just as he has loved us. That's the kind of love that he calls us to in the church and as we leave here together. I thought about this. In the last week, I've experienced or I've heard people confessing sin to one another, praying for those in need, praying for people who are sick, meeting in each other's homes, exercising together, watching a movie together, getting together for a coffee, sharing struggles, counseling and caring for each other, sharing the gospel with people. They devoted themselves to the church in all of its forms. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread or communion. And we're going to do that tonight. I wish she was here, but Kirsty's daughter, Taylor, her ministry is setting up communion. So she went around, she's six, five. She took every one of these cups that you've got and put them on each chair because this is her church and she's got a way to serve. But we're going to do this just now, as they did, to remember and celebrate the gospel to remember what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave himself for us that we could be right with God. Sins forgiven, slate washed clean, new start, adopted into his family, new relationship with our Father. And Tony Morita speaks of communion, what we're gonna do just now. He says, the apostles preached to the ear about Jesus and the communion table preached to the eye about Christ. Now, if you came here before lockdown started, we used to have big communion tables big loaves of bread, fancy bread, lots of shot glasses full of grape juice and a really beautiful setup, you know, leaves, I don't know, decor items. It looked really, really pretty. At the moment, we're doing this nip and sip thing on the chairs, which is not ideal, but it's better than nothing. And I'm looking forward to sharing communion with you guys just now. But the the communion table, as we do this, it preaches about Jesus. We think of his blood shed. We think of his body broken. We think of his love for us. We think of our sins forgiven. We think of how we're right with God. And as they did this regularly, what they were doing is they were making sure that the church didn't drift from the gospel. 
We were rehearsing it, re replaying it, thinking about it, making sure that as a community and individually we were dwelling in Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection and his lordship. That's what we do as we take communion just now. There's a song we sing here sometimes that speaks about the cross. And it says, on a cross there hung a man who redefined who I am. And as we come to communion tonight, we're being reminded that actually I'm not defined by the weak. I'm not defined by being August dad. I'm not defined by all of these other things that might be labels or things that have happened to me. I'm defined by Jesus. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. We've spoken about prayer a lot this year, but I love this. This was a community that spoke with God. This was a community that were in constant conversation with God. Prayer wasn't a, a 30 second thing sometime during the day. They prayed in their meetings as we've done tonight. They prayed on their own. They interceded, which is a fancy Christian word, which means they didn't just pray for themselves, but they prayed for others. Prayed for other people, prayed for other needs, prayed for other churches, prayed for the city, the country, the nations, what was going on. They prayed that God would bring change. And they sat alone in his presence, abiding, listening, contemplating, saying, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to say to me? And they listened for his voice. There were people of prayer in the shower, in the car, at the office, over lunch. As they spent time with people, the church were devoted to prayer. One of the things we also see is that signs and wonders were a part of community life. Now, it doesn't say they were devoted to the miraculous. It doesn't say they were devoted to the supernatural. Some churches would kind of put that in there. But what it says there is actually they were filled with awe at God. I want to ask how your awe levels are doing right now because it's been a hard two years. Are you in awe of him? Do you need to be reminded of his greatness? Because they, they were full of conviction that God is great. So they believed him to do great things. They were praying for God to do great things. They were celebrating when God did great things. They knew God could heal the sick. They knew God could raise the dead. They knew that God could set people free. They knew that God could speak through them to encourage someone that was in need. So they trusted him and expected the supernatural in and through their lives. Do we believe that as we gather like this, as we go to work in certain situations which might seem impossible? Do we believe that God is great and that he can do great things? I think for some of us, maybe tonight is even a moment where we go, I do believe that, but it's grown really foggy. I wanna expect the supernatural again. I wanna expect God to work in that situation again. I wanna expect God to use me in that way that he used to use me again. Would we be in awe with what God could do in a fresh way? Two last ones, they were devoted to praising God. Now, I, I loved singing tonight, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not just speaking about when the church sings together on a Sunday. In Ephesians 5, verse 19 to 20, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think when I see that, I love the thought that we would be a church that does sing songs throughout that we would praise him as we live our lives. 
They were devoted to praising God. That was their culture. In their church, in their homes, in their meetings, in their lives, they praised God. And I want to say this, because I think this is the challenge, is they praised God when things were good, and they praised God when things were bad. It's been hard to praise God for some of us over the last two years. Maybe even now there's some areas in your life where you're saying, it's, it's hard for me to praise God because of what I'm going through. But they praise God in all things. It's a challenge and encouragement to us because he is great. Lastly, they devoted themselves to helping others know Jesus. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And I love that picture. We, we don't see here any form of evangelistic strategy or event or program or something that they did. What we see is the, the life of the community. And it seems that as they went to the office, as they went to the gym, as they went to the beach, as they hung out with people, it seems that people were coming into the orbit of the church and meeting Jesus and just saying, wow, he's amazing. Every day, it seems that people were coming to follow him and believe in him and were being baptized as those 3,000 had. There was a response to Jesus, a following of Jesus that was coming out of this community of people and that they were always inviting always sharing about their faith, always, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving and warm and winsome and encouraging way, pointing people to him. And what we see here is rather than a programmatic strategy, they lived their lives. Like we've been talking about, they were devoted to Jesus, devoted to his church, devoted to one another. They were generous and joyful and praising God. They were loving one another sharing in each other's struggles and helping one another when there was need. And it just seems that people were seeing the love of God embodied in a community of people and saying there's something about that that is so appealing and beautiful. I want to be a part of that. Jesus through them was drawing men and women to himself. And we see in their lives, the lives they lived, the life they lived in community, that they were preaching a far louder message than any evangelistic program could. Harbour City, that's what they devoted themselves to. And my hope is that as I've gone through those things tonight, you're not going, you've given me a lot to do, Grant. <laughs> it's like a lot of tick boxes. Okay, I've got to devote myself to prayer now. I've got to devote myself to communion. I've got to kind of cut up my bread and grape juice for the week, get ready to go. I've got to devote myself to the Bible, devote myself to the church, devote myself to evangelism, all of these things. They devoted themselves to these things because they were devoted to Jesus. And they devoted themselves to him because he first devoted himself to them. And what happened, and that's what's gonna happen as we do communion now, is we remember again that Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her. Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. And his devotion to us as his people is what spurs us on to devotion for him. He is the reason we are devoted to any of these things or live them out or put them into practice. And if tonight you're hearing just a, a long list of to-dos and this feels like hard work and unpleasant and something you don't wanna do, my suggestion to you tonight is Jesus, just pray. Jesus, would you show me your devotion to me? Would you show me your love to me? I don't know if I can do what Grant's saying, but would you show me why I would? Would you reveal that to me? Can I ask you guys to stand with me? Can I ask the band to come up? We're, we're gonna sing a song and we're going to take communion together.
But before we do that, I just want to say one last thing. I'm a huge idealist. If you've known me for a while, you probably know that about me. I'm a huge idealist. And what I'm sharing tonight is an ideal. It's this beautiful picture of what the church can and should be. Now, life wants to make us all into realists. The last 20 months has made me want to be more of a realist. It's, it's beaten a lot of the idealism out of me. But as we read this, I want to say tonight, can we not settle for realism when it comes to this passage? Can we see the ideal of the Acts 2 church? Say, I want that. I want to be part of that. I want to live for that. I want to build that. I want to pray for that. I want to give to that. I want to form that culture. I want to embody that more. I'm here for it. That's what I want to be part of. If you're in for that, maybe even as we sing this song now, which is just about the grace of God, about how good Jesus is, as we see that, maybe you can even just say, God, what is the one or two or three things that you're saying to me now that I can do to start to devote myself to these things? What is it that it looks like for me to take steps towards this? Is it something that needs to change in my heart? Is it something I need to believe? Is it a response to you? Something I need to get involved in? What what is the call to me tonight that I can be part of this? So Jesus, just as we um, respond to this message, really we're responding to your devotion. And I do just pray for each of us for a clearer sense of who you are and what you've done, that we would believe it and see it and live in it. And I just ask you to speak to each of us now. What is our individual response to you tonight? I ask you to speak to us. For those who maybe have never heard you speak, would you speak now? Would you make it clear? We really want to follow you and be this kind of community. And I pray if there's any cynicism, any negativity in us, I just pray you would give us a fresh dose of idealism tonight that we would believe that you could do what you did in Acts 2 here in Harbour City, here in Durban, here in South Africa through your church. And as we just sing now, Lord, we just invite you, just come and meet with us and speak to us, I pray.